no difference who you are Anything your heart desires will come to you Hello and welcome again to Al-Anon Politics. That opening segment you heard was Big State singing When You Wish Upon a Star and accompanying himself on an electric keyboard. Again, that's Big State. You can find him on YouTube performing a number of songs. Uh, we're returning to the topic of star voting once again. And our speaker today is uh, our speaker, our interviewee is Mark Frommeyer, who was the person principally responsible for taking star voting from a concept to a movement. And why I want to get his... Um, recollections of what led him to this point, the kind of considerations he made in backing it, and how we got here from there. So, Mark, welcome. Alan, thanks. <laughs> thanks for having me on the program. Very good to you're, see you again, sir. Uh, I should also say that you're also a game developer and entrepreneur in the field of electric motor vehicles, the fun utility vehicle, Arcimoto, and uh, all around, as far as I can tell, a good guy. Um, oh, your, your dark side yeah. has been hidden from me so far. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure, I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Um, so people in Oregon here know your family name. You're getting pretty well known yourself, but they knew your father and your uncle pretty well, at least the old timers here. And I wanted to go back to when you were a teenager. You've told me this story before, but I want you to share it about how the split vote problem in our elections affected you on a very personal level and got you into this whole morass of voting system. <laughs> so the, the deep rabbit hole began <laughs> yes. on a dark and stormy night in November of 1990. Um, I was, uh, so, so I, I was actually um, born into the political process. I was, I was uh, born during my dad's first campaign for the state legislature. He was a state representative. Um, He's actually the, uh, a Republican state representative from South Eugene, sort of the heart of liberal Eugene. And uh, uh, I, I can, some of my very early memories are of, you know, sort of peeking over the crib and looking at people cutting precinct maps to go walk neighborhoods uh, door to door for him. Um, he went on to become Oregon's attorney general. He was Oregon's attorney general from, for 11 years, starting in 1980. And in, in his third campaign for AG, he was actually the nominee of both the Republican and the Democratic Party for that office. So he was the he won the, the write in nomination uh, for the Democrats and was the was the nominee from the Republican Party. as well. I did not know that. That's pretty impressive. It's uh, he, he was uh, 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 I think it was uh, Ted Kulingowski once told me, he's like, you know, your dad, I, he was. He was, I was like, Dave, you're really lucky. You're, you're, you're actually a, a liberal Republican in this state, which is really hard to pull off. Yeah. Um, Back in those and, days, maybe a little easier than today, but it shows he had broad support. It was. Yeah, the, the, the Oregon Republican lineage of uh, people like Tom McCall and Mark Hatfield, um, these kind of iconic political figures that really were all about um, bringing everybody together to form good consensus solutions. Uh in 1990, he ran for governor, and that was right when, um, you know, I would say the, the far right really began to start flexing its muscles, and they, 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 they knew in a group called the Oregon Citizens Alliance, they knew that they couldn't primary him. He was just 
had way too much support. Um, but they approached him at the Republican convention and said, uh, you know, basically, you need to adopt these following parts of your platform. Uh, you need to uh, agree to appoint these various people to certain commissions. And if you don't, then we're going to run an independent candidate against you and make sure that you'll lose. And he told him to take a hike and they ran an independent candidate against him, a guy named Al Mobley, uh, who ended up splitting the vote. And, and it was uh, and Barbara Roberts won in the plurality. Um, and that was my first experience of watching those returns come in uh, at, in, at age 16 of the spoiler effect and of vote splitting. So um, I, I want to clarify for anyone that's not aware of this, what happened is that he was running as a Republican, but this group tried to blackmail him into adopting more far right positions. And when yes. they ran their own candidate, it siphoned off enough of the Republican vote that he lost to the Democrat. Yeah, he was a he was a pro-choice uh, uh, Republican and they they ran a on a sort of a pure pro-life platform and uh, Mobley got 14 percent of the vote. What, what was uh, the winner? Did she win with a minority of the vote, Barbara yes. Roberts? Yeah, Barbara won. won uh, Roberts won in a plurality. I think the final tally was something like 42, 40, uh, 46, 42, 14. Hmm. So the outcome of this- almost exactly the same split uh, on the first star voting initiative in Eugene. <laughs> so the, um, the upshot of this is that a broadly popular candidate was sabotaged because of our voting system. Yeah, well, in your it's it's very difficult in the plurality voting method to run a multi-front campaign, right? Because because every voter only gets to choose one candidate. Uh, if you're it, when when you when you attempt to move towards the the center of whatever the political spectrum is, you you end up losing voters on uh, on on the extreme side and vice versa. So it's, it makes it very hard for a consensus candidate. I mean, that was one thing that became very clear to me was that it, that's, that this is why we have such a bipolar political process, is that you, uh, if you really do want to represent everybody, um, you're, it, it's, it's much easier to run from a, from a fringe position than it is to run from the center. Uh, and and we've only seen that problem get worse and worse over time with yeah. the polarization. And I want to emphasize this doesn't always mean that the center candidate is a moderate in some sense. It could mean that the center candidate is simply somebody that gets broader support because their ideas are popular among people across the ideological spectrum. Right. Yeah, it's, it's not it's not there's no it's, it's sort of where is the center of public opinion in the place uh, that you're that you're attempting to represent. And that's really where you want the representative to be is is able to. Uh, able to, to sort of amass the sense of everyone he or she is attempting to represent and come up with the best uh, policy or leadership for that, for that place. Um, but the, the, that, that issue of polarization, of course, is then compounded by the fact that we have a two-stage election process. Mm -hmm. So we, it's, it, we, we have a, a polarization that happens in the primary stage, and then again, uh, the, the general election just sort of reinforces it. I wanted to ask you one more thing about your father, because I recall you telling me that he had developed the equal vote idea. 
in a, well, in a lawsuit that you used um, to develop your own organization? Well, so, so no, we, we wrote an amicus filing, uh, my dad and I did for, uh, and I can't remember, this was a, I think this was a closed primary case where we, we brought really a lot of the, uh, uh, I, I, and I'm, I'm blanking on, I think it might've been New Jersey or something where somebody was suing the state uh, for uh, disenfranchisement related to having a closed uh, partisan primary. Um, but he, you know, where we really got the core of um, the, uh, the, the, the ethos of the Equal Vote Coalition was from the Center for Election Science. Um, and their, in their explanation of why it is that approval voting meets the principle of one person, one vote, which is that in, in, a, in, a, in an election where you have more than two candidates, if you've got voter A and voter B, if, you know, if voter A approves of uh, candidate number one, then voter B, who likes candidates two and three, that expression of support for those two candidates is what allows both of those voters to have an equal voice. Um, and when the Center for Election Science, uh, they, they framed it as sort of one person, one vote, or the equal weight vote is a matter of um, being able to sort of cancel out or, or negate another person's expression of vote. Um, I, I was, I was driving back from, this was, this was actually right after the unified primary, uh, had failed to get enough signatures for the ballot. And I was driving back from Ben with my dad kind of explaining this. We were, we were talking back and forth and he, he just sort of said, you know, people, that, that whole negative, uh, approach really isn't, that's not a persuasive message, but what, what you're really talking about is balance that two voters, you, you know, that you're, that you're equal if, if voters can balance each other out. Uh, within the within the voting franchise, and if you if you only have two candidates, you know this is you can sort of think of the dinner table conversations where one uh, one partner prefers the Republican, one the Democrat, and they they each vote uh, for you know one for the D, one for the R, and and those votes balance out. Um, but as soon as you have more than two candidates, you can't cast a balancing vote, right? In in our current system. Because you're, and that's that's what really ultimately puts you at a disadvantage if you like more than one candidate in our current system. The more candidates you like, the less voting power you have, because everyone who thinks like you will end up splitting their votes between the choices that they have. Um, but it was that principle of balance, and then and ultimately how that that that, that balance. You know, when when the Supreme Court says uh, as 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 nearly as is practicable, every voter's vote must carry an equal weight. Well, the, the test for equality of weight is the balance scale. That's how you know that two things are equal is that you put one on one side, one on the other, and they balance out. And when you extend that principle into voting, um, it means that just means that your expression of the vote and my expression of the vote, vote there's always gotta be a way that, that we can express a vote such that they're in balance with another's expression. And that's how you can know for sure that you and I have equal power in the voting franchise. Mm -hmm. If you can cast a vote that I can't balance, then one or the other of us necessarily has more, more weight on that scale. Mm -hmm. And that, that runs directly contrary to what is required 
by the principle of one person, one vote, and that the Supreme Court has made clear in, in multiple cases. So let's make this more concrete for people. You mentioned the uh, failure of the open primary measure. I assume that was the one in 2008 here in Oregon? Uh, well, no, so, so open primary has been run twice uh, in Oregon, once in 2008, once in 2014. I was the chief petitioner of a measure called the unified primary uh, in 2013 into 2014. Uh, and ours did not even, ours didn't make the ballot. It was, this is a a, a, a grassroots campaign um, that that ultimately the uh, the the powers that be in the political realm opted to go with uh, a rerun of the open primary uh, and not support the unified primary. So the unified primary never made it onto the ballot. Uh, but this was, I think, to my knowledge, that that is was the very first time that uh, approval, so, so the unified primary is approval voting in the primary followed by a top two election in the general, um, where, so in the primary, you can approve or not of any of the candidates in the field. Um, and then who, whatever two candidates have the most support overall, those are the two who become the finalists in the general election. Uh, and then we all get to choose between them and the general. Um, that system uh, was, uh, so it was first proposed, we, we were the first, I think, to propose it in Oregon starting in 2013. Um, it is now the law of, of the land of St. Louis. So St. Louis took the unified primary and um, actually got it passed at the ballot box, and that's what they do now. So the, the big difference, I mean, people can get easily confused by the terms, but open primary is where all the candidates run against each other, even two candidates or more from the same party can run. Yep. And there's no party preferences listed on the ballot. You're allowed to vote for only one, though. Correct. Which means that some people's vote gets split between candidates that are in some way similar or that they like more than one, which unbalances it in the way you were explaining equal weights. But the unified primary, which is what you were promoting in Oregon back in, what, 2014, um, you can vote for more than one candidate in the primary. That is, you can show your approval for as many candidates as you want. Right. You get to, to say, an equal you get balance. To say, you get to say, and you basically get to vote on each candidate. So you get to say yes or no to every candidate on the ballot. And then the two candidates who get the most yeses from voters, those are the, those are the finalists in the general election. You still get one. I mean, there's this question of, you know, uh, of, of what is sort of what is a vote? It's uh, and and the vote is really just your expression, your voice about what you want the outcome to be. So you don't get you know multiple votes. You have one vote, but within that vote, you can express a yes or no on everyone on the ballot in the unified primary. So in a sense, is an equal voice. Yes. Yeah. You get everyone gets this, the same yes or no on all the candidates, and you just add up the yeses. Well, I wanted to ask also. This is. Um, like a, not a chrono chronological question. I guess it is. You were aware of ranked choice voting. Oh, yeah. Which yeah, at that time in 2014, we hadn't met. And I knew about ranked choice voting, was trying to promote it. Wasn't getting very far in Oregon at the time. But you must have had reasons for going with the unified primary when you set up a ballot initiative rather than ranked choice voting. 
Yeah, well, there were uh, there were a few things that fed into that. One, so I back in I was in, in you rewind the clock in 2007. I actually met up with uh, Phil Kiesling at a at a conference that the Bus Project put on, and he was promoting the open primary. And at that point, I was a huge ranked choice voting fan. So I you know, instant runoffs. So I was like, Phil, you got to do uh, got to do IRV. And you know, he said, Oh no no no, that's going to you know, requires a change to the ballots, complicated algorithm. It was in those intervening years that I started to study. Uh, you know some of the, the the problems with the instant runoff method. So I was a I was a a, a longtime fan of instant runoff. I mean, this is going back to uh, for a long time. I thought that was the real solution that would have uh, that would have solved for and 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 you know to the to the original problem that got me into this in the first place. That instant runoff would have worked just fine in that 1990s gubernatorial election. Let's clarify: instant runoff is a form of ranked choice voting. Yeah, There's a is. number of ways you can count them, but rank right. choice means you rank the candidates. Instant it, runoff is a particular way of counting the votes and deciding how the outcome is determined. It does, although the, the RCV, uh, as promoted by Fair Vote and, and their, uh, their satellite organizations, is the instant runoff method. Yeah. They're not out there promoting Schulze and MinMax and you know, they're, they're, and, and there are some very good ways of counting ranked ballots. But the one that's used now uh, as ranked choice is really not a good algorithm for counting ballots. And that's, that's sort of what I discovered along the way. It works, it would have worked, that instant runoff method. And the way, it, the way uh, RCV or instant runoff are, are computed today is that you get to rank all the candidates on the ballot. Here's my first choice, second choice, third choice, fourth choice, and so on. Um, and then the way, the way it counts is you add up the first choice votes of all the voters and whoever got, whichever candidate got the fewest first choice votes is eliminated. All of the people who voted for that candidate in first position, now their ballot starts to count for their second choice. And it's, it's a seemingly s- simple system, right? It's like you just run, do runoffs over and over and over and over again until you have a majority. Um, but what when you combine that, if, if the goal is not just the ability to express support for more than one candidate, but to actually have that support be counted fairly, that's where the instant runoff method doesn't work well. Um, because what can happen is that, and uh, in, in, in ranked choice is often promoted with messages like, you can just vote your honest preferences uh, in ranked choice and it's as easy as one, two, three. But if your honest second choice preference gets eliminated before your first choice, then your second choice never gets counted. And that becomes particularly problematic when you have more than two strong candidates in a race. So in the, in the 1990 race, there were only two strong candidates and there were a, a bunch of sort of uh, much more uh, much more fringe candidates, including the independent uh, that ended up siphoning off you know, 14% of the vote. In that election, an instant runoff would have would have worked. That is, it would have produced the the consensus candidate. Um, but it, if if you had three or four or five good candidates for the job, that's where that counting method can really break down. And in that window between 2007, when I was a big fan of instant runoff, and 2013, when we started pitching the unified primary, that's when I sort of discovered. 
the the mathematical problems with with instant runoff and why it was sort of like okay we need a better solution than that. And where did where did the idea of using a pr approval with an open primary to create unified primary where did that come from was that something that other people have been talking about? No, I just it was a it was a it was just like it was actually about four years of just kind of thinking about the problem from 2007 to 2011. Uh, and then that was the, there was, I don't know where the spark came from, but it was, uh, that was the, because, because there was another, you know, there's, there's been a fair vote out there for 25 years promoting instant runoff voting. There's a newer, but still now a couple, I don't know, decades old organization called Center for Election Science has been out there promoting approval voting. Um, and I, I took, you know, one look at approval voting and it was, I, I like the idea. It certainly has that equal weight component, but it doesn't let a voter express a preference for a candidate. You can say, here are all the ones I approve of, but if I have any preference between some of the ones I approve of, it doesn't give me any way to say that. Mm -hmm. um, and it was sort of in studying those two methods that I think that that's where the inspiration came from. I was like, well, why not take the open primary, which uh, the open primary has this actually magnifies the vote splitting problem because you now have many more candidates in that open primary field. So if you only get to choose one, um, then you're going to have, you're going to have more problems with vote splitting. You'll have more problems when you have similar candidates, you'll, you'll disempower voters if they like more than one. Uh, let's use approval voting in that stage and then do the top two runoff of the open primary. So it's kind of blending all those ideas together. And then I went out and I, I started researching it and I found out that that system, that idea had actually been characterized. Um, a guy named Warren Smith, uh, who uh, has done a, a tremendous amount of research on a, a huge number of different voting systems. He was one of the early guys to really do uh, simulation of voting uh, systems to see which ones actually produced, you know, the simu you, you simulate a voting method to see does, do the inputs lead to the output? That is, do, do the, do, do the, does the counting method counting the votes up, actually produce something that is uh, represents the will of the voters. And very close to the top of the list in his, in his long list of uh, voting system characterizations was approval with a top two runoff. And so that was, that was like, oh, this not only does this uh, system make sense as just for uh, um, the, uh, fr from a, a slight tweak of the open primary, but it actually produces results that match what people want. You know, it's kind of ironic now. Uh, people need to learn this stuff as citizens because they're going to be inundated with proposals for voting method reform. And I, Andrew Yang right now is combining the two forms that you rejected, the open primary without the approval voting, and then ranked choice voting to determine which of, I guess, four candidates can win the, win the final general election. So, the good news is that Andrew Yang is a is a fan of math, uh, and so I'm I'm confident that once uh, once he runs the math and and really dives in there, um, he will, you know, he and his team will find the same things we did. So you ran a uh, initiative for this uh, unified primary, and at the same time there were they were running an initiative for the open primary. It's not was, a, not exactly deliberate. Were no, they trying to sabotage? No, no, no. Uh, so, well, so I, my brother and I actually drafted the unified primary or the approval primary back in 2011. 
Um, and he was a second year law student and I was uh, making electric vehicles, but I, I just sort of said, hey, John, what, take, this, take the open primary text and then add in this approval voting component. But the one thing I could never figure out was um, how do you get people to care about it so that, so that you could actually turn it in, in, into a, a real law? Um, and I, so, so it just sort of sat on the hard drive for a couple of years until the federal government shut down in 2013. And it was, that was one of those moments where it was like, okay, this is going to be one of those time periods where this partisanship, I mean, I, I had no idea what was going to come next in, you know, 2016 and on. Uh, but, uh, but basically just said, okay, this is one of those windows where people are going to be paying attention to this and they're going to care. And that's when I submitted it for its initial signatures uh, for, uh, for, you know, the, the sort of the proof petition. Um, and the Oregonian picked it up and then the LA Times picked it up. And then people on the national level started to get in touch and say, oh, this is a really interesting tweak on democracy reform. Uh, you know, we'd, we'd like to be of, of help. Uh, and this is, this is uh, the, uh, the Schwarzenegger Institute, um, uh, 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 Michael Bloomberg's team out in New York reached out uh, and they said, okay, well, what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to make sure that you've got the right support in the state. But if you, if you gather that support, then, you know, we'll, we'll help out. Um, and so that's when I went, went to the folks who had done uh, the, the open primary back in 2008 and had been the big supporters of that. And actually they were, they were very supportive of the unified primary. Um, they, they did want to have, uh, you know, make sure we had a petition for the original open primary in the mix um, in case, you know, polling determined that the, uh, that, that, that the unified primary was going to be a no-go, but the open primary was going to be good. And I just said, okay, well, um, that's great if you guys want to do that, but I will, I, I'm not, I, I, there are huge problems with the open primary. And so I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to be willing to be the chief petitioner of that measure. Um, I will be the chief petitioner of the unified primary, which is the direction I strongly, uh, uh propose that we go. Um, and ultimately, uh, the, the folks who were cutting checks decided that, um, it was given this, the investment needed to make any kind of reform that they were going to support something that had already been proven in Washington and California and sort of that it's already been done effect rather than take a shot on something new. And so that's, that's where this was, I don't know, April of 2014, kind of split paths. Uh, I, the, the team down here in Eugene uh, made a valiant attempt to collect the 87,000 signatures necessary to put it on the ballot in six weeks. Um, and this was after, I mean, there's, there's I learned a whole lot about the initiative process and uh, the, uh, the powers that be, you know, the, the, the Democratic Party of Oregon um, just did everything they could for months to try and delay the certification of the petition. Um, we, we, I, ended up running crosswise of some of the people in the Green Party who saw it, saw the unified primary as the open primary and, and were confused about that. And the, still resent you to this day. <laughs> they still resent, some do. So yeah, I've, I've mended some fences. Some people are stubborn. So um, the outcome was the, the one you were pushing, the unified primary 
failed to make the um, ballot because you didn't get enough signatures. Yeah. But the other one made the ballot and once again got rejected by a pretty large margin with some oh, it, it got 30 slow. something yeah, yes no, it, to it, 60 something. No, it, it lost by more than the original one in 2008, uh, despite despite many millions of dollars more being spent to promote it. Um, so this is where we're getting to the star voting concept. And well, we're already through a half an hour. We are. <laughs> we are. So let's uh, let's uh, just cut it here. And uh, leave people hanging. Say this is all right. Oh, after the failure of the unified primary, you came up with a new idea yet again, which or or an idea came up which you ran with, and that was star voting, and actually sparked a movement which is now spreading around the country and around the world. And I think, uh, and I think, really, what was it was within days of not qualifying for the ballot. That was when I drove back from Ben with my dad had that conversation and I realized really the magnitude of what we were going after, which is that in that, in that quest was the quest for the real equal vote. Um, and that's what, so that's, that's, it was the unified primary campaign uh, ended and days later, the equal vote coalition began. And the, 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 with the goal ultimately of making sure that we get equality in the voting franchise and then Several months later was was the, you know, a, a new star was born, although right. it wasn't called that at that point. So you folks uh, watching this are going to have to wait a week to hear the outcome of this. Uh, but Mark and I are just going to continue from here. I'm going to play once again a little bit of Big State doing When You Wish Upon a Star to close. And then we will be back to talk about how star voting got started. And in my opinion, is an improvement on all these different voting methods that we've been talking about and that are being promoted still to this day as rivals, which they shouldn't be. Um, anyway, thank you, Mark, and we will be back. If your heart is in your dream, no request is too extreme. When you wish upon a star,